Joining us now is our good friend from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota, Al Bat. Good morning, Al. Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope you are having the best of days. I've been out. The crows are in my yard. I don't know what they're up to, but they got the young ones out, and I think they're drinking coffee and playing <laughs> crow. Okay, uh, I think oh, that's is what bad. they're up to, but I can't say for sure. Man, it you know it is near the end of July. It just uh, I time wings by and yeah. the summer picks up speed. I'm starting to hear a lot of insect sounds at night. Cricket cicadas music. are big time right now. Have you heard? Yeah, and they're so loud. And, uh, oh, is it Kobayashi Issa wrote, Summer night, even the stars are whispering to each other. So some of the sounds that we used to hear during the day when all the birds were setting up territories and making so many sounds, some of that sound is kind of shifted to the insects at night. And I'm hearing screech owls in my oh. yard, and uh, boy, are they noisy. <laughs> and I think it's the young ones. We usually see the young here uh, all around the deck on the 4th of July, and I haven't seen them this year at all, but I hear them out in the woods. Al? And I, the, yeah. Are, are the screech owls louder than the, the toads? Because let me tell you, the toads this spring <laughs> were so <laughs> loud and screamed so loud, I I thought some of, there was murder going on in the backyard. It's I was out, uh, oh, I go for walks at night when it gets so beastly hot during the day, even early in the morning sometimes. So I'm out walking around in the darkness, which I, I don't recommend for everyone, but uh, it's you're walking along and all of a sudden you hear these odd sounds that the little screech owls will make, and you just, it, it makes you just stop for a moment and say, what the heck, oh, it's a little owl, <laughs> you know. But I can see where people, I hear from a lot of people that they hear the sounds of great horned owl, young ones, and they make this terrible screeching sound that sounds like somebody's being tortured out in the woods. And even deer snorts. Uh, deer will snort when I get close to them and you, in the darkness. You just hear this snorting sound, and it just makes you stop. There's a lot of things out there that are, are not going to do us any damage, but they still make us stop and say, what, what was that? And w uh, the other one is foxes doing kind of a bark that'll make me stop and listen to. I don't think I have to tell anybody, Karen, that we're in the middle of the dog days of summer. It's July 3rd to August 11th. And uh, this period of sweltering weather coincides with uh, last year's uh with the years not last year's with the years rising of sirius the dog star at about sunrise and again i'll tell everybody don't worry about your lawn grass indoors so we'll be okay there i was watching killdeer killdeer are drama queens one <laughs> will look as if it has a broken wing and it calls loudly as if in pain and it's all a big act by the killdeer parent trying to it's putting on a show trying to lure me away from his nest or young ones, and it's really a neat thing to see. I listened to Neil Young sing Beautiful Bluebird, uh, one of my favorite songs. And young bluebirds have been really scarce this year, but blue jay, oriole, and grosbeak fledglings entertain as they explore their new world. And the day was a baby when I put out peanuts in a shell in a feeder. And a young blue jay had never seen such things. He's new here. 
and he tried to land on the feeder 15 times. I counted them. <laughs> I sat here in my chair, and I counted him 15 times. And he'd, he'd just kind of, his feet would touch the feeder, and then he'd fly back up in the air, and he'd land on a, a naked branch here and kind of think things over, and then he'd make another attempt. None of those 15 times involved a successful landing. He found the peanuts vexing. But then an adult flew in, grabbed a shell, and flew away. And you could see the young one watching this. So he tried another time. And this time he landed on the feeder, but then he scared himself away. Well, then another adult came in and grabbed a peanut and flew away. And then the youngster flew in. This would be a 17th time. The youngster flew in. And he grabbed a peanut and tried to fly away, but, of course, he fumbled the goober football, so he had to come back, grab another one. He dropped that one. On the third one, he grabbed it and then flew away. And I'm sure he had no idea how to open the peanut, so I don't know that it was a good result at the end. But it, it was sure entertaining to watch the little guy uh, go through all this um, it just it was it was troubling for him, but that's how they have to learn. Uh, you got you heard from Eric. I did. Uh, our our friend Eric Steinmetz has a question. He says he was walking around and he saw the great big catapa trees with those big crooked branches, and he says they it's also known as the Indian bean tree with all those beans hanging around. And I was mentioning to him, I said, you know, and they also can be very messy when all those beans drop. And his question is, are those beans edible? And I have no idea, but, I mean, if they are, you certainly could have a feast. And that's for sure. And they're one of my favorite trees because of those beautiful flowers they get. And uh, we, in Minnesota, we don't have a lot of big trees that have flowers. We have a lot of, uh, oh, crab apples and smaller trees that uh, have beautiful flowers, lilacs. But we don't get them on the catalpas, and I just, I love those. A friend gave me a catalpa tree many years ago, and it blooms, and I mark that on the calendar, and it's just so, so beautiful. It said that the Indians... Uh, smoked the bean pods. I remember I was oh. reading something on them, and uh, there was a hallucinogenic effect. Uh, so it became the Indian bean tree, and I think, was it uh, Indian cigar tree or something like that? They called them way back. But they are they are not edible. Uh, oh. They look like they should be. I just I think the same thing, Eric. And I look at those and I say, man, a guy ought to probably be eating those. Are they but, poisonous uh, though? If you ate them, I don't know that they're. I was told long time ago that for the most part, catalpa trees are not poisonous, but the poisonous parts of the tree are the roots, and then I was told it was the leaves. Uh, might be. They didn't know for sure. But the flowers and the beans are not poisonous, but just not a good idea to eat them, I okay. guess. So. Do squirrels there's like them? A lot of thi- there's a lot of things that look so good, and then uh, you're not supposed to eat them. And I won't even make a comment about lutefisk here. I was going to, do squirrels like to eat them, or what, what does like to eat those beans then? I would guess squirrels will eat them. <laughs> I don't know that it's one of their favorite things, but, uh, you know, they will eat pretty much everything. And as far as deer, I don't know that I've ever seen where deer have come in and chewed on them. 
Uh, and uh, a lot of times I think that's probably because there's so many other things for them to eat at the time we're getting the the pods on there that they probably don't need to come in there and eat those. But if, uh, if there's somebody listening so while well, they're eating mine, it would not surprise me one bit because uh, deer are just... Uh, boy, when they go shopping, they go shopping, and they will uh, sample a lot of different things to see. They, it's like when we go to the store, and uh, we're surprised when they have those samples. Yeah. My wa- my wife takes the cart away from me, and she goes off shopping. <laughs> well, I go to all those samples and say, oh, what is that? You know, And, and then they'll get me some and uh, give me the little sales pitch. And, of course, I'm not too interested in the sales pitch. I just want the samples. And, but on occasion, something's really good, and I will buy it. But I think deer, the whole world is sample day for them. Yeah, And they just go from one place to another and say, boy, that looks like that might be pretty good to eat. Well, not, well, I try that. And then they will eat stuff. And uh, I, they're just amazing creatures. And well, that's how they've not only survived but prospered. Last week, uh, last weekend, I saw a little a, a fawn because it had the spots on it. And it was snacking on my neighbor's shrubs. And I thought to myself, boy, I'm glad it's snacking on their shrubs and not mine. <laughs> And so really we haven't, I haven't had any deer problems because I have been putting that deer defeat, that spray on that, that yep. s- smells um, the whole summer. But I would imagine a fawn maybe is like baby bunnies where they aren't as smart uh, as an older one to or ignore smells. I mean, of course they didn't, she didn't come in my yard. So maybe that's why it didn't come to my yard, but do they, are they repelled or are they like bunnies where they just kind of like, oh, we'll eat anything. I, they're probably repelled, but I think a lot of, you know, like blue jays, a young blue jay like the one that was here, he might look at a monarch butterfly and say, hot dog, there's a there's a nice meal. And then he will eat it and <laughs> not feel very well and might even kind of barf it up. Oh. Uh, so the, he will learn quickly. The next time he sees a monarch butterfly, he'll say, you know, those things, just they look good, but I'm not eating another one. So I'm assuming that's probably true with fawns and bunnies and all these things, that they will sample things and determine what they really like and what tastes good to them and then kind of concentrate on that. It's like kids, you know, you're a little kid, a little boy in my case. You find out you really like hot dogs with mustard, even though all your friends are putting ketchup on their, on their hot dogs because that's what we put on when we were kids. But, uh, you know, if you could have got by, you would have probably lived on potato chips and hot dogs if mom would have gone along with that plan. So you learn what you like. And when you grow up, you think, boy, that's what I'm going to eat all the time. And you know that doesn't work out that way either. Hey, Al, I got another uh, text here from Mike and Albert Lee for you. He says, I've got a question for Al about hummingbirds. I usually see one at a time at our feeder, but sometimes two or three appear. When more than one, they appear to chase each other and chatter. Are they being protective about the food source, even though there are four openings on the feeder? Or are they just being playful? Either way, it's fun to watch. It's great fun to watch. And uh, Mike, great to hear from you. And Eric, great to hear from you as well. They are protecting a food source. Uh, it's ingrained in their brains that when they get a, a good food source, they need to protect that. So they will chase other ones away. 
and uh, just they want to save all that for themselves even though you know they should share i don't know why they just don't have moms my mom said you need to share that you know if you had a nice candy bar you had to cut it up Mm -hmm. in like three pieces or something and spread it around to everybody hummingbird moms not so much telling them that so they are they it's a dispute over territory and food so that's why they're doing that they just need to protect that because they you know they don't know where their next food is coming from they don't know what the tomorrow brings so they're going to make sure they protect the one today but thanks a lot Uh, we'll start seeing more flocks of birds before long here folks and a flock provides safety in numbers it keeps an eye on everything especially you it's like circling the wagons of a wagon train for protection in all those old western movies that's kind of what a flock does Uh, ken nelson was in some sort of bird feeding place and he bought wheat and he found out that uh, birds don't like wheat so he had this wheat and he's putting it out he said his squirrels love wheat he has discovered that Uh, ruth searle of woodbury sent me a photo of some uh, eggs bird eggs wondering what they were and they are house finch eggs Uh, david hunter said i want to clean out my sparrow boxes they're really english sparrow or house sparrows they're really dirty birds i've even found dead adults in the Mm. nest but i want to do it when i won't be throwing out any young and of course not in the winter when is the safe time to do this Uh, it's great to hear from you david and your kind heart is a wonderful thing Uh, house sparrows might have three broods uh, they have a 12 to 13 day incubation, maybe 14 to 17 days of nestling. So a nest could go through August. If you see there are no eggs or young birds in the boxes, it'd be okay, okay to clean them out at any time. So I hope that's helpful. Uh, Susan Wistie said, she's from Duluth. She said, Al, you were talking about um, birds battling with windows. I had a red-eyed vireo battle with my bedroom window when I lived near Alexandria, usually early in the morning to my chagrin. And Rick Schroeder said, American robins love to fight their reflections in my windows all spring and early summer. Ruby-throated hummingbirds apparently simply admire their reflection in my windows, but only in front of the black silhouettes of raptors that stick to my windows. Or maybe they're just analyzing the black outline against an apparent forest reflection behind them. Prior to putting up the silhouettes, I've had a variety of birds attempt to fly through the windows. Some died, sadly. Some I was able to rehabilitate, and they flew away. Birds of both types included ovenbird, pine siskin, common redpole, rough grouse, magnolia warbler. It's not a yard list I'm proud of, but I'm less ashamed now that I have something on the glass to apparently break the plane and get the birds to fly away from the glass instead of towards it. Brenda Katasek of St. Peter said a friend has a hummingbird in Mankato with a string on its leg. Could anything be done, and how harmful is it? I don't know what you could do, Brenda, unless you could capture the little bird somehow, and, you know, that's nigh on to impossible. They are resourceful, they are tough, and they... uh, they have, you know, we used to hear about people had great stick to and birds have that. So it's not good to have the string on there. 
but will it uh, overcome that? I'm going to say it's got a really, really good chance. I'd say about 93% chance overcoming that. Uh, Daniel Otten of Hayward sent me this oh, big green caterpillar with kind of oh, light brown or tan color on the back. And it it's a saddled prominent, saddled prominent caterpillar. And it grows up to be a moth. The larva feeds on the leaves of maple, oak, sumac, apple trees, probably some other trees. And birds and wasps prey upon them. Uh, Mike Bonner, uh, I think Michael lives in Cortland, yeah, and he said, my downies are now hooked on grape jelly. Last night I foiled the crafty coon who swings down the one-eighth inch diameter wire that supports all my feeders to get to the sunflower seeds. I put them in the middle of a 20-foot length. She's feeding young, but her acrobatical nerve is lacking. She will have to be content with cleaning up the spills, but she'll probably get there sooner or later. Yeah, they're incredible creatures. Uh, Claudia Egelhoff said, Al, I have always had interesting sightings at the airport, but today was special. First, a Kestrel family has returned. This is up at MSP Airport. Uh, three young ones doing random flights from airport structures to tree limbs while the parents watched and occasionally shouted at the observer. Second, a group of immature eagles lounged on the grass at the south end of the runway until an airport truck with flashing orange lights slowly approached. The eagles were reluctant to leave and moved a few yards to an earthen berm. The truck followed slowly, and eventually the eagles gave in and flew downriver towards Kaposia Landing. I'm not mm. familiar with that. I probably should be. But in addition, close-up views of a metal arc group of killdeer, two green herons, and a song of marsh wrens in the swamp at the southwest end. This was accompanied by the smells of the slow river jet fuel exhaust and the sounds of a nearby metal crusher, urban birding at its best. Uh, Mark Munlux. Uh, Mark lives in Tacoma, and he said, how do you prevent chiggers? And that's a great question. I guess um, DEET or maybe a sulfur-based anti-chigger product, a coat of clothing, socks. Or, or spray clothes with it, or with uh, maybe white distilled vinegar. I've heard people say that works. Al, Other people, yeah, you said spray yeah. it on your clothes. I just got some DEET. It's actually a cream. It says do not get on your clothes. So I'm just wondering Ooh. if the spray is different than the, the cream that I've got. It just says, you know, avoid, of course, near your eyes or anything like that. But it, it said don't put on your clothes. So I was wondering if that's... I would, yeah. I better would read the directions, that. I guess. I know I don't spray on, like, binoculars or anything around binoculars because, boy, some of that DEET will eat up some of the rubber uh, armor on things. So I'm always, you know, DEET, it works, but in a way it frightens me, too. Cause, yeah, because it, it's a chemical kind of thing that you're not, and, and I have it, but if you use, you know, it's like anything with used chemicals, use them correctly and very carefully if, if you are going to use them. And other people say lavender and what peppermint, tea tree, citronella, and thyme. Some people have good luck to, uh, you know, pay special attention to feet, ankles, and calves. Yeah, would they, be the thing. 
Uh, maybe wear tall boots, tuck your pants into your socks. Uh, when you get home, take a shower quickly, and scrubbing skin can dislodge chiggers. So. But did you notice that, that, you know, you mentioned socks, but some things like mosquitoes and flies, they seem like they can just bite through socks. And, and so that always <laughs> that can. always makes me frustrated because it's like, well, I've got socks. How can you be biting me? And I have a question that in the Minnesota Gardener's column, it says, uh, it's there's anyone noticed a huge uptick in black flies this year? Uh, this person says they've checked their garden for rotting plants, cleared away clippings. They don't have pets. Where are they all coming from? And more importantly, why? So I don't know. I guess I've noticed a bunch of, of the black flies too. So any thoughts? Hey, they're not as bad. I remember, oh, it must have been 2018, 2019. I was at a uh, state softball tournament in Mankato at Caswell. And the black flies, just uh, a lot of people call them buffalo gnats all but ate us alive. I'd never seen them so bad in Mankato, ever, ever. So this year, I don't think it's too bad here. And oh. uh, uh, other people, and you're seeing more than I am. I'm just not noticing them uh, at all here. So I have a lot of mosquitoes, more than enough to go around there, but uh, not to black flies. And black flies are... They're little devils. It'd be the kindest thing you can say about them. They're just really good at what they do. And, uh, oh, they just, uh, I'm not happy ever to see them. No. Uh, Kate Crowley. Kate lives up in Willow River. She and her husband, Mike Link, uh, walked all the way around Lake Superior and wrote a book about it. It's just wonderful. And she said, Al, it's so sad to hear how few bluebirds fledge this year. How long will it take for the species to recover from the terrible loss I know there may not be an answer. I was very discouraged to find that the nest box in our field that had bluebirds was an apparent failure. There were three unhatched eggs and one eggshell. I'm pretty sure the tree swallows were successful with their nest. A very tough summer for insect-eating birds in this terrible drought. Things can only get better, right? We just returned from a week in the UP and on Isle Royale, and they, too, are desperate for rain. On a positive note, several people in our group saw a bull moose. Oh, as a former tour leader that still does on occasion, oh, nothing makes people happier than seeing a moose or a bear. Uh, Steve Harvey said, I saw several groups of uh, tree swallows massing on power lines. Tim Scott sent a thing from uh, the New York Times about the Cornell Lab of Ornithology, and it's about our friend Merlin Bird ID app that now uh, it can, you can point it towards songs. It has voice recognition, and it'll tell you. It doesn't claim to be 100%, but it, it does pretty well, and it can identify some 400 North American bird species. And the Merlin, you can check that out. It's a pretty good thing. There's also a thing, uh, my good friends at Birdwatcher's Digest sent me information on Bird Buddy. It's a... Um, uh, Artificial intelligence-powered smart bird feeder, I guess would be the right way to describe it. It's fitted with a motion sensor camera. So this is state-of-the-art. It can ID over 1,000 bird species. So you just put it out in your yard, and it comes with an app, and it'll... Um, point this bird out say here's a bird and here's what it is and it's just a it's a crazy world how we're advancing in these things uh 
last two things before um, uh, we're talking about the uh, Orioles. Somebody was seeing a lot. Carlos Smith said, I've had Orioles in the last several weeks, many Orioles, far more than I've seen in the past. I put two jelly feeders out hanging from under planter boxes on my deck railing. Seen both adults and young. They're learning how to land and hang onto the vines that drape down as well. And then Pamela Brussman said, I have seen a dearth of Orioles since early July. I had many and then none. I'm used to pause and jelly feeding during the time when parental Orioles feed insects to the young, but usually they come back to the jelly, bringing those young with them. Nary a flutter of orange have I seen. So it's just a uh, there can be such a difference in areas that aren't very far apart. And so you might have a lot of Orioles and, you know, your neighbor. You've stolen all the neighbor's Orioles, and he has none. I thank you all for sitting on the front porch with Karen and me. It's, it's fun doing this. Uh, somebody said, well, what do you call a polar bear in Hawaii? A lost. <laughs> yeah. You know, I learned that. And I've learned, that's part of life, you learn so much. I've learned that you were cheap if you think there's no such thing as an empty tube of toothpaste. That's me. I squeeze it. I want to jump up and down, get that last little bit out of there. I've learned that the most foolish conspiracy theory that I can have is believing that I'm always right, because that's never, that's not even close to being true. I've learned to never buy an orange electric car because it runs out of juice. Uh-huh. I've learned that kids remember everything and kids forget everything. I've learned if you want to walk in closet, buy a treadmill. And I've learned that if warning labels were everywhere they're needed, we'd all be covered in them. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is while we're driving past. Thanks for listening to us. Uh, do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your wonderful company. And I didn't get to everybody, but we'll get you on next week. So wonderful. thank you all. Well, thank you, Alan. You have a great, great week. Are you doing any fairs coming up at all? Just curious. Yep, I'm at, uh, I've got a superintendent's having that meeting tonight for the Freeborn County Fair, and then uh, next week I'll be at the Freeborn County Fair every day, and they got a bunch of uh, really uh, famous groups coming in. So Do they? Like who's coming? Oh, I knew you'd do that. <laughs> uh, uh, you opened boy, it up, I, Al. Yeah, I'd have to look it up. It's, it's okay. terrible. You know, they have great groups. They've had the Garth Brooks there and way back to George Jones, Chubby Checker, Paul Revere and the Raiders, Herman Hermits, uh, Kenny Rogers, so a lot of Alabama. Well, Al, all um, since it's next week, you can tell us next week. How's that? I'll do that. Okay. I'll, I'll probably know <laughs> by then. All right. <laughs> and then tonight I, I get to MC the Nicollet County 4-H Club a performing arts show. They don't have the fair oh. until in August, but the kids get will be doing their, well, whatever, dancing, singing, uh, instruments, puppet shows, you name it. So it's always a lot of fun to see the kids. So, Do you do stuff at the Blue Earth County Fair as well? No, we're, we belong to the Nicola County 4-H Club because that's yep. where we just got started uh, way back when. But um, I, I have brought exhibits to the Blue Earth County Fair, which was last week, but I did not yep. get a chance this week. Too much drought and too hot to go out and pick all the flowers. <laughs> and that was going to be my quick question, was how was the uh, gardening or the floral at that with 
Yeah. With the weather, I'm thinking it's got to be down. I, um, you know, Barb Lampson told me there were, I think, 81 entries in the so in the flower, so that's pretty good. But that sounds good. Yeah, yeah. So, and I'll probably do something in the Nicola County Fair if I get a chance. But we'll see. It's a got a, got a couple weeks left. So, well, thanks, you Al. You got that trophy room. You got to fill it. Well, you know, last year I did get the grand champion um, with my uh, floral arrangement, so that was my my first one, and it was it was pretty cool. I got a watering can, a little cute little blue. Uh, watering can with white polka dots. That was my trophy. <laughs> oh, nice. So it's usable. So anyhow. That's right. All right. Thanks, Al. We'll chat with you next week. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.